1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jacqueline Throop-Robinson. She is founder and CEO at Spark Engagement Index. We're going to speak with her about the work that she does with companies, with teams, with individuals on how to get engaged, how to make sure that we're, our employees are not frustrated, that they're fulfilled, that they're energized about the work that they're doing. Obviously, for service-based businesses, this is a huge issue. You know, We, we have to deliver our product, deliver our value to our clients through the people that we have the teams that we build. And so making sure that we've got high levels of engagements are, are going to be really key to not only delivering value to customers, but retention, uh, making sure that we have a viable, sustainable business. So I'm excited about this is a topic that we talk about a lot on here, but we always have new ideas, new perspectives, and I'm excited to have Jacqueline. So with that, Jacqueline, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much, Bruce.
1: So let's get a little bit of your background and how you got into the work that you do today. What was the story? What was your professional background and, and kind of tell us a little bit of the journey you've been on?
0: Well, I started in the corporate world and I worked for a very large organization. And so that was really a blessing because I was able to work in many, many different departments, including, you know, field operations to head office. So I really got a taste of many different facets of, you know, the main components of any organization. And during that process, I started to pay a lot of attention to employee engagement and organizational culture and recognizing just how important that was. And I brought a lot of consultants on board from the big consulting firms to boutique shops and just really tried to absorb what their skills were offering, their services they were offering and found it to be inherently helpful and useful. And so over time, I decided that I wanted to explore that. And I focused specifically on employee engagement and even more specifically passion in the workplace and really wanting to understand You know what made the difference, why some people were really passionate and others weren't. And so the business really grew from that kernel of an idea.
1: And how do we know? I guess maybe let's define passion, first of all, and then we can kind of figure out how to create more of it or why it's beneficial and how to create more of it. When we talk about passion in the workplace, passion in your your profession, passion in the job that you do, what are we really talking about?
0: Well, that's a great question. And not many people actually ask me that. (laughs) 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 It's maybe stating the obvious, but I think that's one of the challenges with the word is that people understand the word, they know what it means. Hopefully everyone has experienced it at some point in their work life or their career, but really to define it was really what we were after and then to understand what really gives rise to it. And so we have been able to kind of discover a very straightforward formula that can have really, you know, profound impact on people when they really understand it. So we started off with qualitative research doing over 200 interviews with people who've been nominated as passionate about their work without a definition though, at the time, mm-hmm. but it's just, yep. you know, we asked CEOs or senior leaders, you know, nominate your passionate people. And, Through that interviewing process, we discovered two really important things. One will not be a surprise to you because the literature and the way we've been operating in the recent decades has really focused on this idea of high meaning in your work and your career. So, highly meaningful work. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a subjective state, however, right? Because what's meaningful to you is going to be very different than what's meaningful to me. But the important thing to create that emotion of passion is that for you, your work, and your career is highly meaningful. But there was another surprise. Mm -hmm. The surprise was meaning alone is not enough. You can care a tremendous amount about your work. You can feel very emotionally connected to your work. But if you're not seeing progress, the emotion that comes from that state is not passion. If you're not seeing any progress and you care a lot, that's going to be frustration, (laughs) right? Yeah. And so what we were able to do was sort of see the importance of being able to move what you care about forward, to be able to see the impact of your work, feel like you're making a difference. So, you know, our formula is high meaning and high progress or high sense of progress, which again is subjective. Yeah, I was just you know,
1: going to say it. Both, both of those are fairly subjective.
0: Absolutely subjective. Now, what we did learn through the research that there are these, you know, universal drivers of meaning and universal drivers. Drivers of progress that people relate to. Now, what it looks like in your life or my life might be somewhat different, but mm-hmm. for example, people... For some people, their work is highly meaningful because of what they produce at work. It could be that they are, well, right now, for example, in healthcare. Mm-hmm. right, that you might be serving a higher purpose. Yeah. I was just speaking to a young doctor today who has been, who wants to get on the front line. She really feels like that that's where she needs to be right now. Yeah. And but for someone else, it could be something that is bringing order to a chaotic situation. That that's highly meaningful to them. More of a you know like a values-based piece. Um, For others, it's teamwork. What they produce at work matters much less than how they produce it and who they produce it with. So it is those those things are universal, but what they look like in individual lives can be quite different. And the same with progress. For some people, getting meaningful feedback is a huge signal of progress and very important. For others, it's being able to celebrate accomplishments, that that's what marks and acknowledges progress. So, you know, there's there are these sort of standard engagement drivers or drivers of passion, but how it looks and functions in our own life, you know, is unique to us.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of good news, bad news. I mean, good news is that, you know, you can kind of boil it down to these two factors. You know, the bad news is that these two factors are very <laughs> are variable and self-defined. It's not, there's no absolute and, and no single formula that's going to drive, uh, you know, passion in that way or the engagement in that way.
0: So that's really, really observant of you. So it is a challenge for leaders. So, for example, we do know because of the robust research we have that there are 21 Core drivers for the majority of people. Now, that doesn't mean for everyone. but if you're working with a group of people or you're working you know with a large workforce, you can count on, managing these 21 drivers things like celebration feedback vision values you know there are there is a list you can be sure that if you manage those well the majority of your workforce will be engaged however you know as a leader if i have a team of 10 people it is important that i get to know and understand what their drivers are at that kind of micro level yeah you know you know my coaching of them my support of them will be enriched if i really understand those critical drivers of passion. They're motivational drivers, right? So if I can really understand what makes someone tick from a meaning and progress point of view, that becomes really powerful because then I can establish conditions for them in which they can thrive. You know, like we say, it's not the leader's responsibility. You know, it is up to every individual to have the self-awareness and to feel empowered to serve themselves well when it comes to locating their drivers of passion. But leaders can make a big difference. Right. Just by how they establish the conditions in which people can access more easily those drivers of passion.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've it does seem like this when we talk about this question of culture and how do you build a great culture? How do you motivate employees? And it does sort of come back to this. Well, you have to ask them (laughs) what's going to motivate them and, you know, and getting curious and becoming aware and helping them become aware. How do you deal with the situation? you know, in in that conversation where an employee, an individual may not really know, like they haven't done the work or they haven't actually sort of pondered it or asked the questions of themselves about really what is going to drive their motivation, their engagement, their passion. How do you kind of deal with a situation where the employee is kind of not quite sure? And so then you're not quite sure how to best lead and manage them.
0: Yeah, that's another good question. Because it is surprising how many people aren't clear. I do find in very practical terms that people are better equipped to answer the question about what makes their work meaningful. People have thought often a little more about that. Now you might have to ask some probing questions. It could be anything from, well, tell me about the work you do day in and day out. What aspects of your work mm, give yeah. you the most joy or where do you feel the most engaged? The question that people can always always answer, you know, when we do coaching sessions or workshops or our consulting services is, you know, I want you to think about the activity, the activities you do during your day. I want you to imagine yourself doing your job. And so I want it to come down to something really like practical. Yeah. So think of an activity that when you do it, you lose sense of time, you find yourself being in sort of a flow stage, yeah. you feel fully absorbed by that work. Tell me what that is. And that makes it a lot easier for people, right? So instead of it becoming this philosophical question. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's hypothetical, philosophical. Yeah.
0: Right. They'll say, well, I love, I mean, and, and you get a range. Things that people really dislike about their job, other people love about it, right? So you get this big range, but it could be completing a particular spreadsheet. It could be having a conversation with a client. And through that process of, of focusing on the activities that really jazz you. And I also ask the opposite question, you know, where is your energy the lowest? When do you like drag your feet to do a task? What is that task? What is that activity? And you often see high contrast and it can be really, it's simple, Bruce, but it can be enlightening for people. So people may see after they've listed these activities that on the one hand, those really creative activities where they have to do, you know, sort of creative problem solving, just like they just love it Mm -hmm. but the routine and administrative tasks like kill their energy right and so I find that's the best way is just getting people to break it down into the things they do. And people are always able to answer those questions.
1: Yeah. it's almost, I, I did a lot of work in user experience design and, and kind of product design. And one of the things we always kind of realized in, in doing that work was you can't just sit down with a user or with a customer and say, well, what do you want? Right? Because they, <laughs> they often don't know, right? They just yeah. like, I don't know. I, I want it blue yeah. or I want it red or, or they'll tell you something and, and then it turns out that's not really what they want or it's not how they behave, right? So there's always a difference between what they say and what they do. And in the end, the best sort of strategy or the best process at some level was about giving them two or three options and then having them interact with them or work with them or choose them and then start to investigate, okay, well, why this one over these, right? So it's kind of a react to something and then kind of question about the reaction and uncover what the drivers are. And it sounds like the same thing. It's like, let's talk about a whole bunch of tasks, a bunch of work that you could do or you have done or you might be doing. Which one would you rather do? And then start to understand, well, why that task? What is it about that? Last task that's more engaging than something. And yes, and maybe it's the routine, or maybe it's the creativity, or maybe it's that it's you know overcoming a constraint, or that it's a real challenge, or it uses a new technology. But it's kind of the you have to let them kind of react to it first, or or emotionally kind of draw towards something, and then start to inquire why why that thing over the other thing.
0: Absolutely, and people love to talk about this as well. So even for managers who aren't used to having these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. I always tell them, don't worry about it. You start to ask some of these basic questions and people love to talk about this because they don't have an opportunity yeah. to very often. You know, the conversation will drive itself, but it is an inquiry process. And people sometimes will say, I've actually never thought about it yet you know, before, or I haven't thought about it in this way. And so people are sometimes figuring it out with you right? Because it's just not something that they have considered previously. But for some people, when they figure out their meaning and progress formula, and it can have different levels, you know, for some people, what creativity looks like Could be different things. But once you know, because I tell people for anything that's meaningful, you are looking for a signal of progress. Now, the signals of progress are harder for people to identify because we're not used to thinking in that way. So, for example, I did a webinar yesterday. Now, I care about the webinar because I cared about delivering that particular content, right? So I was invested. I cared about it. I put time and effort into it. I was really hoping to deliver good value. But what's important for me and what gives me a signal of progress is to have feedback, to get some kind of feedback on that webinar. It doesn't feel complete, And I can be passionate while I'm delivering the webinar um, because that I have meaning and progress as I'm moving through the webinar. But after the webinar is done, I'm looking for a different signal of progress, right? So for example, I got feedback that an hour flew by. Well, that's a positive signal of progress for me. And that's what sustains and supports your passion. Now, for everything that's meaningful, there could be different signals of progress, right? So it could be different if I'm building a relationship with you and that's meaningful to me because we could be doing work together, we're collaborating. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be looking for signals of progress around the relationship. Interesting. Yeah. Right? But that could be different. That might, might be feedback, but it could be something else. It could be that two weeks from today you reach out And to ask me a question that you're interested. Well, that's feedback that, oh, there was something that was said in that conversation. Bruce trusts me to reach out and ask me a question, which is really important in the workplace, for example. Mm -hmm. So so for everything that's meaningful to you, you have a corresponding signal of progress. But people tend not to think a lot about that. But often what frustrates people is a lack of of progress, right? Yeah. That's often a key source of frustration or a lack of fulfillment in work or or just not feeling a bit neutral about your work. It's because often it's because that sense of progress is missing for people. So it's really important.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I think of my management experiences and, and one of the things that I realize I spend a lot of time on with folks is sort of asking this question of well what does success look like or yes. defining like if this goes well what could we see and and I realize that that it's by It's helping define what progress means or what progress looks like or how we could see it. And, you know, I look at it as kind of a completion of done. Like, I want to make sure that there's a very clear success criteria so that we can make sure that we're staying on track and we're not, you know, deviating or we're not, you know, spinning our wheels on something. But I realized it's also serving this kind of tool of helping them actually give credit yardstick for measuring progress so that we can actually keep people motivated and engaged.
0: So you've used language as you were talking about that, that is really important when you're managing progress. So you were talking about defining success. So that is obviously really important because that's your kind of your end game. That's sometimes I call like, how are we going to know when we can crack open the bottle of champagne, right? Like when's the minute that we, what will pass the champagne test. But you also talked about things, knowing if things are on track or not. And that is really important because if your goal is one that's going to take a period of time to achieve, then being able to to have these moments or these signals of progress as you move along that journey is really important. It lets you know if you're on track. It lets you know if you have deviated. That's another word you use. How do we then adjust our course, you know, yeah. to use a sailing analogy. Yeah. And to be able to really track progress is so powerful. And, and then on the way, the other thing we've really, we've actually been able to define eight different states of engagement at work. So some are negative in terms of the emotion doesn't feel good. Uh Others are neutral and others are positive. But one of the things that really distinguishes people who are truly passionate is they celebrate progress. So don't just note it, but celebrate it. So being able to celebrate small wins. You mentioned something earlier about overcoming obstacles yeah. or overcoming a constraint and celebrating those moments. That is often, according to our data, because we we have an assessment tool that we've been able to develop. The data tells us that people do not celebrate enough, that we are so focused on the end game or we're so focused on getting onto the next project or the next file or the next task yeah. that we deprive ourselves of celebration, which is so important for resiliency, to sustain passion, to help us persevere through the tougher times, like right now, yeah. you know, with all the adversity, um, celebrating small wins and bright spots goes a long way to sustaining passion as well. Yeah. So you just, you said a lot in that example, and I think you are spot on. And I think there are a lot of good leaders out there who, like you, have managed with those principles. And and you probably saw very positive results from that. But when you are able to frame it so that, you, I just tell managers, manage progress, so much else will take care of itself.
1: Yeah, I and can it's, see that. And
0: it's true, and it's true.
1: Yeah, I'm curious from a culture point of view, if you're a leader inside a service business and you're looking to grow it, or you're kind of looking at strategy and looking at culture and looking at the talent that you have, is it worthwhile or is it effective to kind of, Look at the drivers, you know, given this constellation of drivers that you have, is to say, look, culturally we want to pull people in that are driven in the same way and we want to trade some uniformity here so that we've got consistency in organization around what is gonna drive engagement here, or is that not is that a not a good strategy to use because you get too lopsided in your culture? I mean I'm just curious. Given this tool, part of part of me wants to say, Oh, well, I'll just go out and find a whole bunch of people that are the same so that everything lines up and so that everyone uses the same sort of systems and motivation and everyone is thinking the same way. Maybe, though, that's not a good idea.
0: (laughs) Right. So that's another really good question. So and this is another challenge for leaders. So we talk about the shared drivers and you do want to build this context in which people can feel inspired, say, by the vision of your organization. Mm-hmm. I think there are some engagement drivers that you really do want to recruit for that or you want people to be aligned right Uh to those. So vision might be one, right? You want people to really be excited about what the company is all about. Another one could be, for example, if your culture is one that um, I'm working with a client right now that is really committed to straightforward communications and open feedback, you probably need to recruit for that because, (laughs) you know, that can be very challenging if you recruit people who are not on board with that. So I think there are things some core shared drivers of engagement that you can recruit for. However, you're quite right. You don't want everyone to be the same because you're going to develop blind spots in your organization. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm working right now with an organization that has recruited a lot of actuaries. Now I love actuaries. (laughs) They're amazing people, right? I love Uh them. But if you have 10 actuaries in a room, they're going to have blind spots around aspects of the business. (laughs) Yeah they're going to be brilliant in other aspects right yeah. but they're going to have blind spots so you definitely need the diversity, and you also need to give people like the latitude to be able to locate, nurture their own very personal drivers of engagement. And as long as they align, it's not a problem, right? But you definitely need the shared ones. It is really important because you can end up with a culture that's a bit fragmented otherwise.
1: Yeah. Are, are there any that conflict? Like, if you're looking at a team, like putting, you know, teaming. If you're putting together a team, yeah. and you you have these insights around these folks. Is there anything you want to watch out for in terms of like, eh, you know, if you put a couple of people like this and a couple of people like this on the same team, they're going to have friction just because of the way that they see purpose, the way they see meaning, the way they s- they're going to measure progress?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yes, you can. So, for example, if just a real story,
1: yeah,
0: I'm working on a team with a team right now. We're, we're doing some team building together. One person on the team is very creative. They're able to see better ways of doing things very easily, like it just comes to them, right? They're just able to see what if we did this and what if we do that? We could create a better process. There's someone else on the team and they love that. I mean, that's a driver for them. I mean, they would do that all day if they could, they would be in their passion zone all the time, but it's a finance team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so it's very important in finance teams to also have standards and maintain processes, you know, over a period of time. You can't be changing all the time. So if one person is sort of driven by this creative problem solving, but the team and other people on the team are very much around practical things that are proven and tried and true, and that's a value, that can become a conflict. So it really is. And I did this once. I had a team of 10 people who had the same job description, but they were all, there was obviously a lot of diversity on the team. So I had the luxury, fortunately, at the time where I was able to carve up this single job into specialty areas. And so I was able to align people. So the person who loved the spreadsheets got to work with spreadsheets all day. And the rest of the team was very happy. (laughs) (laughs) And the people who want to do, you know, the client work and the needs assessments, they got to do that all day. But most of us don't have that luxury, right? We have to have some of our work that doesn't jazz us. But what I say to people is we all have a level of tolerance where, you know, I just know I have to get this done. I see the value in it. It doesn't jazz me, but I get that I just have to get it done. But you can't be doing that all day, or else you are going to lose your passion for your job, right? So everyone has different levels of tolerance for that, but you have to kind of figure out what yours is. And when you're not getting enough of the stuff that jazzes you, you really have to step back, reassess your work, have a conversation with your manager and see what you can do about it. Because there are times I'm coaching a woman right now where I don't think it's a fit for her job. She tries hard. Mm-hmm. She wants to do well. She wants to be successful, but it doesn't, it doesn't jazz her. And that's not a career for someone, right? To yeah. have to spend years and years doing something that, you know, you might love the people you work with. You might love the company, but day in and day out, if your job doesn't jazz you, you get a look at that.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. It's, you mentioned um, you mentioned this earlier, and I just wanted to kind of under, understand a little bit more what you're, I guess, what you're borrowing from or, or how, how this relates. So you mentioned the flow and flow state and kind of the check sent me high kind of model yes. of th- this kind of very specific kind of engagement mode that people can get in. And, and I know there's been more research around this and there's a couple different kind of flow states that people get in. But how much, I guess, when we're talking about engagement, how much are you borrowing or how much is this similar to that kind of, you know, time, you know, either, uh, expands or shrinks and, you know, focus becomes very tight. And, you know, you're in this kind of very specific kind of psychological state. Uh, how, how much are we talking about kind of flow state when you're dealing with engagement in terms of what we're looking for, either individually or as a team?
0: So what we have found, so we have, as I mentioned before, we have eight states of engagement. Three are positive. One we call energized, where your meaning is really high. Progress is sort of mid-range. So there's uh-huh. an opportunity for more progress there. The state that we actually call engaged, engaged, engaged is high progress, but mid meaning. So there's an opportunity for boosting meaning and Mm -hmm. then passion, which is high meaning and high progress would be closest to that flow state. Now I can be passionate about my job and see, you know, and have really solid meaning and progress formula, but not be in a flow state hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Right. That, but there will be definitely facets of what I do that do put me in a flow state so that is, that is a psychological state that is part of passion, but it's not synonymous. Yeah. Um, now, what we found, you know, looking at Jixxam work is that seeing your work and feeling that your work is challenging on some level is definitely one of the drivers of passion. It yeah. isn't the only one, but it is definitely a driver of passion. Also, Having the skills and knowledge to do your job well, which is another facet mm-hmm. of of the flow state, is critically important for engagement as well. So those are part of the picture in terms of our landscape, but it's not... It's not the whole thing.
1: Yeah. The other thing I, I've always appreciated about flow state is that it's a, it's part of a larger arc, right? You're going to have pre-work th- things that preconditions that kind of prepare you and enable flow state. And then you're in flow state and then you come out of a flow state and you kind of repair. I mean, there's, it's not a, it's not something you're in all the time. It's, it's a, no. it's a cycle that you go through. And so I, I'm curious how much you sort of see teams or individuals and teams in these engagements, if there's kind of the similar Kind of flow or natural up and down nature of these states that you're working with, or, or is this creating the context where you're going to just be in that maximal state as much as possible over a period of time?
0: So that's a great question. So what when I present the whole model, I'll tell people, you know, out of these eight states, you could experience all eight of them in a day, yeah, you exactly. know, depend, right, yeah. depending on what you're doing. Now, what we strive for and once we really understand what for us drives our engagement, we want to nurture those and we want to bring as much of that into our work as possible. And that will increase the amount of time we spend in passion. No one's going to be a hundred percent of their time there. I mean, I live and breathe this stuff, and I'm not yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. um it's just not how it works so it is it is also similar to the flow state in that way, but the more aware you are right of of what your drivers are is important. The other piece that's really important, even I mean it, it certainly is it relates to the drivers but I want to present it a little bit differently. Even just thinking of meaning and progress. I can find myself doing anything and I can ask myself those two questions. What is meaningful about this activity for me? Now it might not be the thing that is the most meaningful to me, but if I can locate some purpose, some meaning in what I am doing, and then I can think about how can I how how can engaging in this activity give me a sense of progress? So it might be I had to learn a new software this week and I wasn't too keen to learn it. It feels like a bit of a pain to learn it, but you know, I can I can refocus on what's meaningful, you know, I can focus on what that piece of software is going to do for me, and then I can think about my signal of progress. And that can be anything from when I finally feel some ease in using the software, I can. Another signal of progress could be when I actually use it for a specific purpose and get a positive result. But if I focus for meaning and reframe for progress, I can boost my engagement significantly. So there's a big piece of this that's also mindset, Bruce. So yes, it's important that I know I love creative problem solving. That's important, I know that. Uh, It's important I understand the role of feedback or whatever they might be for me. But to use that model and to just challenge myself in anything I'm doing to find something meaningful and to see progress, that provides the space and a mindset where you can really find a lot more enjoyment in your work, right? And that in in and of itself can enhance someone's experience significantly.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The other thing that occurs to me is that so much of what I talk about with companies when we're talking about growth strategy and how we're going to scale them and and one of the factors that comes up or one of the things I talk about is that everybody wants to scale. Everyone wants to grow themselves. And, And if you don't provide opportunities for people to take on new roles, to expand their capability to learn new things, you're going to get people that stagnate and ultimately, you know, either leave or they're just going to be underperforming because they're just gonna they're gonna lose that engagement. But just that idea of always need to have some new challenge, some next level, some kind of plan for how someone is going to move forward. Because if you don't do that, I think a lot of managers kind of get in. Hey, this person is perfect at the job, so I'm just going to keep them there. <laughs> like I don't want I don't want to think about them moving anywhere else because like I, I don't want to have to like replace them. And and you know we end up having these conversations of so look, they are gonna have to replace them at some point because they're going to want to do something different. They're not going to stay there forever. And uh, and I think it's hard as a manager to kind of understand that. But the ones that do get really good at it and actually develop great career paths and they, they really have great employees. But I think it has to do something with this whole progress idea that you're mentioning.
0: Totally does. And Stagnated is one of our eight states. So it's just fantastic that you mentioned that. And I've mentioned this, but I didn't sort of highlight it. What we know, and I've been using a lot of like day-to-day work examples and tasks and activity-based things, but what we know from our research, that your day-to-day work obviously is a significant factor when it comes to meaning and progress, but so is your overall career. So what 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 you're saying is extremely important because what happens is that managers will focus much more on the day-to-day work and not nearly enough on managing that career development, which always has a learning component, right? And that is very important to sustaining someone's passion at work, right? It's both career and and current work. And we also know from the research, your recent past work makes a difference. So uh, we'll see that, for example, when obviously when people change jobs but even if people have had sort of a change in manager or there's been some change where you see either a big drop in their meaning and progress scores in terms of their work and career or a big increase so the the recent past also has an influence on today and so sometimes when people make changes there is a period of time where they need to kind of find their groove in their new work or new career to get kind of back to that level of passion but Yes, career is really important. And I'm still amazed at how many of my clients do not spend enough time and investment on that, yeah. supporting the career side of things.
1: Yeah, I always I always say you want, you want to have two role scorecards that you're managing, too. the One one is the role that they're in, and one is the role they're moving to at some point. you just kind of always be looking at, okay, what are they doing relative to being successful where they are, but also how will we started developing things and capabilities and keeping our focus and some kind of trajectory towards this next role that they, they want to have. that we're going to move them into in the organization.
0: Yeah. And even if they don't want another role, I have some clients right now that um, people really don't want to leave their role. Mm-hmm. I insist that they <laughs> still develop stretch goals, yeah. uh, develop a new uh, level of expertise, and then see where it goes, right? Yeah. But to be, it's very interesting. Sometimes people fall into this sort of neutral zone that that we call it. So they might not even be in the stagnated side of things, but they're definitely in the neutral side of things. And that's not a good space to live your life. It feels okay. So you can stay there a long time. <laughs> yeah. But what I find is people have given up on aspirations and, and you have to kind of reignite that in them to help them see what they actually want. And it, I'm not imposing anything on them. It's just that people sometimes over time for all sorts of different reasons will sometimes just settle for yeah. less yeah. and that has to get reignited. And that's, that can be challenging for managers to do because that's a you know, there's a coaching skill to that, but it's certainly worth pursuing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jacqueline, this has been a pleasure. Uh, we're gonna hit time here. Um, if people want to know more about you, about Spark Engagement Index, what else? Where else can they get information? What's the best way to get those details?
0: SparkEngagementIndex.com is our main website, so that works. I'm on LinkedIn as Jacqueline Throop Robinson is how it's spelled. And our office number is 902-229-8989.
1: Awesome. I will make sure that all that information is in the show notes so people can click through and get that this has been a pleasure i always love talking about uh, culture and about talent uh, i know it's it can be a little squishy <laughs> when it comes to figuring out strategies around it but actually I, I love how kind of analytical and sort of data-driven you are about it and uh, i think it's gonna be really helpful to folks so i appreciate the time today it's been a pleasure
0: no pleasure is mine thank you so much bruce you've been listening to scaling up services with business coach bruce Eckfeld.